my mission is to make sure that it's safe, it's fun, and make sure that everybody that has a dream to go to Egypt fulfills that. I got my mission. I need to focus on it. I love your mission. Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today we're going on an exploration to Egypt, where each year visitors flock to see ancient monuments like the Great Pyramids and the Sphinx and to learn about Egyptian rulers. But there's so much more than that to the Egyptian travel experience. And today we're going to learn how to Egypt. Our guest is Adam Elazab, who's the founder of How to Egypt, a travel buddy business, and our guide through Egypt on today's episode. Adam was born in northern Sweden, but he moved to Egypt part-time when he was nine years old. He's been splitting his time between the two countries ever since. He's an award-winning photographer and founder of How to Egypt and How to Sweden travel businesses. After tiring of the pace and non-personal nature of corporate work, he decided to move into the travel space by becoming a professional travel buddy. And he's here today to share with us all about Egypt, and I am so excited to get started. Adam, welcome to the campfire. Thank you. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. I'm super excited. Uh, let's just jump in. What is How to Egypt? So How to Egypt started off by me creating a page to show people the real side of Egypt, mostly to show my friends back in Sweden what I'm doing, how to handle things. And then it just took off and people wanted to travel with me. And I thought, you know what? Why not? So and people do need somebody to travel with as a travel buddy. So it just took off from there. If you're going to go to Egypt, it can be a little bit hectic. It's kind of a jungle. So you need somebody that can uh, take you through the ropes and show you everything and just have a good time. What does it mean to be a travel buddy? Being a travel buddy means that the people that are traveling with you always feel safe and have a good time while traveling because people usually take for granted that you're just going to go to any country and hope for the best without knowing anybody so it's a little bit more helpful to have like a familiar face um, that you can trust fully with um, the itinerary with where to go what to eat things like that safety and ensuring a good time and the local knowledge um, i imagine is a huge part of that Local knowledge, the language as well. So you don't want to get scammed. <laughs> so we're going to dig into that a little bit. Like how do people how do people find you and how do people uh, work with you? So I started off on Instagram and TikTok. And uh, that's just been my main source of like, you know, that's where I market myself. That's where I put all the videos instead of, and it's just like not only marketing myself, but it's also teaching people where to go in Egypt, things like that. So they always have like an, online digital guide of all the best places and when and where to be. Yeah. So I will recap this at the end, but just to, to jump right in, because you've got great Instagram and TikTok channels. How do people find you on Instagram and TikTok? So just uh, type in how to, that's a number two, Egypt on Instagram and TikTok. 
Awesome. Love it. Okay. So how did this thing come to be? I know you were born in Sweden and you moved to, to Egypt and kind of split your time, but, but how did, what, can you give us the history behind how did Egypt got started? It started like before I was born, actually. My <laughs> mother is an Egyptologist. So ever since I was a kid, we'd go to the pyramids, to the temples, to the, you know, the burial sites everywhere. So it's like, you know, it got stuck in there. And what happened was that during COVID, I worked a lot as a photographer, freelance photographer and videographer. Then I got a chance to move to Dubai where I worked with the influencer management. So a lot of social media. And then I got the chance to work for a travel company in Egypt, uh, which I thought this is the dream. Doesn't pay as good, but it's the dream. So I did that for a few months and um, we didn't see eye to eye at all. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a little break. I'm just going to travel around for a couple of weeks and just discover Egypt even more. And that's basically uh, how it started. So I remember the first video I put out was the first thing that happens when you go to Egypt. Obviously, you're at the airport. You want to get to your hotel. And I told people, make sure to have Google Maps where you type in your address. So if it takes 20 minutes and the guy is, you know, driving around for 45 minutes, no traffic. Yeah, something's off. And that's how it kind of started. Little tips and tricks like that. Wow. Okay, that's cool. So... Um, you mentioned that your mom is an Egyptologist, and I don't want to assume. Can you tell us what that means? Okay. So an Egyptologist is anybody who you know studies and works with Egyptology, which is the science of ancient Egypt. And ancient Egypt is the ancient pharaoh, pharaohic ages, and also the Coptic Christians and like ancient Islamic as well. And my mother, her focus was restoration. So for instance, you have a statue and obviously there are some parts of it that needs to be restored. She was the, the manager of um, restoring things like that. And fun fact, she was actually the first female manager at the pyramid site back in the 80s. And she, she's taught me, you know, a few things about ancient Egypt, but then a lot of things, you know, come from also exploring and uh, just reading up myself as well. So can you talk to us a little bit about like relationship with mom as it pertains to Egyptology and like, what are some of the things like as a child that you remember about in terms of learning from her about Egypt? All right. I remember there's this one specific trip that I always think about. We went to Luxor and Aswan with the Nile cruise. I think I was about, I was around six, seven years old. And I have this distinct memory of her writing my name in hieroglyphs in the sand. She was like, this is how you write your name. So I was like, wow, that's so cool. And, you know, the entire family was gathered. We saw the temples and we have, we have a lot of pictures from that specific trip. And that was what it was like, you know, um, going to these temples as a family trip. Um, I would sometimes just go to her at the pyramids and just, you know, hang out when I had a day off school or something. I remember also one time I got to go down to the feet of the Sphinx mm. as a little kid. And that for me was like the coolest thing ever. I, I wanted to, to ask you about that because it's it's on, I have not been to Egypt. It's on my list. I want to travel there. I just imagine that there is this sense of awe when you see some of this. And I'm just curious for you as a kid, what was the like kind of the first experiences that you remember there? And then 
like going back over and over again, does that awe dull over time? Well, it did for a while. I remember as a kid, because as a child, you don't have the same spatial awareness. Yeah. Like, for instance, the Giza pyramids, are, they're like 140 meters. What's that in feet? Like 300 feet or so, maybe even more. Once you see that, it's like, wow. But it gets, okay, come on. We've seen it a couple of times. Yeah. But I remember distinctly going there when I was a teenager and just looking at them and being like, hey, wait a minute damn <laughs> how did they even do that and once you get that awareness of just the grand of it it just it blows my mind every single time and there are obviously many more places other than the pyramids that have blown my mind even more and more my favorite thing we can dive deep into that a little bit later is the colors when you walk into some of the graves in the valley of the kings for instance and you see that the colors are just i mean like this I'm not even kidding. They look yeah. like this. So for people listening and not watching, you've got a very bright colored shirt with lots of uh, rust color, teal, red. Yeah, beautiful and vibrant. The ancient gods. Yeah. And that just, it's, it's, it's amazing because the way they approached anything they built was to make it to last for eternity. That's something that we don't really have today, I think. Like you have a, I have this phone but I know that in a couple of years, I'm getting a new one. And uh, all my pictures and all my art are on it, you know. So the sense of eternity is a little bit different, you know, these days. So t talk to us about that a little bit. I just heard you say, like, you see these colors. Mm -hmm. And they're, I mean, I love this idea of, like, colors that are lasting in eternity. We're so used to colors, like, fading. Can, like, just help me, help me understand that. Okay. So let's talk you through um, one of the things that I do on the trips is we go to the Valley of the Kings. Okay? Valley of the Kings is what it sounds like. It's a, a valley in the middle of the desert with a lot of limestone, so it gets like pretty hot. And it contains, I think it was like 50 or so graves, tombs that are, we're talking, you'll walk inside like 100, 200, 300 feet inside of the mountain with like a bunch of steps, and you'll have carvings on the walls and just colors and for some reason, I don't know how, the conditions have been perfect so that um, the colors are literally, like the blues are blue. You'd find something that's red, it's absolutely red. You can see like the star sky, you'll have like blue background and then yellow stars. And they just look so amazing. A lot of people don't know this, but they ask like, okay, what is the point of drawing and making all these things on the walls? And the ancient Egyptians did believe that once they get resurrected, that is the place where they will basically live or <laughs> when they're dead, you know? Yeah. So they would draw a lot of food because that food would be resurrected. You know, there's a lot of prosperity if you have a lot of, like you got mm -hmm. some you know, meats and bread, and whatever. And that would go on and on and on forever. Now, some of the tombs were unfinished because once the king dies that's it you put him in there you close up so for instance the the one of the most famous one Tutankhamun mm -hmm. his grave tiny because he died at the age of I think it was like 19 or so so it's like really really small when you have somebody who died at the age of 60 that grave would be much much bigger you have to be there to see it you know you have to see it for yourself to believe it <laughs> It's so interesting. I love this. And so how old are like these, these bright, vibrant colors that have been preserved? How old are they? 
3,000 years old or so. Dude. It's amazing. Wow. And the conditions are just perfect to have been able to preserve them. Yeah. Obviously, you have some things that need restoring, but yeah. a lot of it is just absolutely perfect. And it just – it blows my mind every single time that I go there. So one thing I, I just – like just listening to you and watching your expressions as you've talked, like as a kid, you saw this and it was like – wow but like you know this is just this is the world that i live in and like don't really question it and then yeah. you know you hit this this age as a teenager and you had this moment where you were like wait a minute and they i heard your curiosity kick in yeah and it seems like that was like there was like a flip that switched there like this mm -hmm. curiosity like wow i want to know more about this i think because uh when you're a kid you're curious about the things that are around you like What's this? What's this? What's that? Like that happened to me as a photographer. Like I'd be out in nature with a little Nikon Coolpix camera and taking pictures of stuff and not questioning it. But yeah. once you grow older, once you're in your teens, late teens, you start having ideas. You're learning about things in school, physics, for instance, <laughs> and you got to start putting one and two together. And like that does, it makes no sense at all. And some people do believe it's aliens. I don't think so <laughs> <laughs> at all. I just think they were really, really good at their craft. That's incredible. So how so how did that curiosity that that struck you as a teenager play into this business that you now have as a travel buddy, How to Egypt? I studied biology in uh, uni, but then moved on to business administration and marketing. So I thought I was going to go in you know, the corporate way of doing marketing, which goes a little bit hand in hand with my photography. Yeah. However, I realized it's not really the case when you go to corporate it's not as fun or glamorous and uh, wild and adventure at some point when i decided this is what i'm gonna do as a job i just put my curiosity and also my like love for photography and videography together and then it bloomed it just worked out because we're talking about all these things that i'm trying to describe yeah. but if you go to my page and you look at it okay now you're getting a better picture of it that's where I felt like I can, I have all this art around me and all I have to do is to document it and tell people where to go. It was, for lack of a better word, easy because it just clicked. Yeah. It just, when it just clicks and it, I just went for the flow completely. Hey everyone, it's Scott here. Did you know that the members of my real estate team, W Realty Group, are listening to their own voices that call to adventure by setting big goals? Some of those goals include planning trips to Bali and the Kingdom of Bhutan, buying investment homes and running the Chicago Marathon. At W Realty Group, we support and encourage these big goals and want to help turn them into reality. We're currently looking to add new members to the team. If you know a great real estate agent in the Charlotte, North Carolina area that would benefit from being part of our team, please send a text, an email, or give me a call. And know that when you support W Realty Group, you're also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening. And my sense is there's a there's a, a real visual element to what you do in travel and in the you know the photography and everything. That's not something that that we can talk about. Something that people have to see for themselves. Um, and uh, I think they have to see Egypt for themselves as well. So I'm curious, like what is a what does a typical trip with you look like? Okay, let's, uh, we can talk about the 10 day trip, which is my favorite. And I think you'll see everything within 10 days. We start off by obviously going to Cairo. And right off the bat, I pick you up at the airport. We're heading to the pyramids. 
we, you came to Egypt for what reason other than seeing the pyramids? And I'm going to give it to you straight. <laughs> so we go to the pyramids. And at the pyramids, usually, obviously, I'll explain more in detail about how they built it and all the different things around it. And then we go and meet one of my really, really good friends. His name is Mustafa, who has camels. He's like a genera- fourth generation camel rider. And the reason I go specifically to this one guy is that he takes really good care of the animals. Which, unfortunately, and the truth is, a lot of people don't feed, okay. you know, they don't feed the animals great and, or they beat them up. So it was really, it took me a couple of weeks to find the perfect guy. I would go on this like hour long camel ride around the pyramids, which is just wow. Wow. After that, uh, we would go to a few museums. So in Cairo, you have the uh, ancient Egyptian museum, which is a classic, it's like 100 years old or so. Don't quote me on that. It's just really old. <laughs> and then there's also the Civilization Museum. So this is an important distinguish to distinguish between the two. The Ancient Egyptian Museum, you have the mask of Tutankhamun. You have to see the mask. It's just it's out of this world. And then in the Civilization Museum, you have all the mummies. So we make sure to check out both of them. And moving on. There's also some other pyramids. So day two, we'll go to the Saqqara Pyramid. Okay. And there's a really good Netflix documentary about it. It is the first pyramid to be built, and it's the Step Pyramid. In there, there's other things. You have a, something called the Serapium, which is an underground tunnel with 20 sarcophagi that weigh up to 100 tons each. When you see it, you will also be like, I don't know. How did they do this? I have no idea. <laughs> Personally, I, I, it's magic, you know, at some point. Another pyramid that is my favorite, and I just want to warn people before going into this one, it's called the Bend Pyramid. Let me talk about the history for a couple minutes. You have the three Giza pyramids, which is Cheops Pyramid, and then his son and the grandson, right? But if you go to their fathers, his name was Snefru. And this guy, he loved building pyramids. I mean, this is why I don't believe in aliens. He builds, we have found four of his pyramids when one of them they have different shapes and sizes so he was just trying to experiment and finding the perfect shape that would last for eternity one of them is called the bent pyramid and it is shaped basically like this it's very bent and on the inside has about 150 steps Mm. it is deep we're talking 300 feet inside of this pyramid my favorite to explore on the inside however it is the most difficult so if you have a heart condition or something, just don't attempt it, but you should definitely visit. And it's one of those hidden gems that nobody goes to. It's just empty and it's very peaceful and quiet. Those are the kind of things that I like to do. And then obviously we're gonna, we go and eat a lot of Egyptian food. We have barbecue, a lot of vegetarian and vegan food as well, because Egypt has a lot of farmers and we eat a lot yeah. of like fresh veggies. And after we're done with Cairo, we head off to Luxor. And Luxor is an open-air museum. It's huge. You have the biggest temple complex in the world. You have Luxor Temple that is open at night, obviously Valley of the Kings, but then we also go to a diff- to a few different cities close to it, like Kena, where you have the Dendera Temple, which has amazing colors. Also very peaceful place, very quiet. We're talking like we're, then we're going to go on a Feluca tour, which is a sailboat on the Nile when the sun is setting. It's beautiful. And... There's also a little surprise. We head to a place called El Guna, which is like, in, it's a resort kind of closed compound area uh, for sailing on the Red Sea. It is 
gorgeous. Wow. Yeah, a lot of things happening. <laughs> I mean, I, I have to tell you, like, if this is a sales pitch, you're 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 scoring points with me. I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready oh, to yeah. sign up, man. <laughs> this is awesome. Oh yeah. Right. Okay. So Cairo and Luxor. Cairo, Luxor, Hergata. Okay. And then obviously, if you want some add-ons, there are Salt Lakes and the Oasis, twelve hours away from Cairo. It's it's not the easiest trip, but it's definitely worth it. It's close to Libya. And so this, so basically, three major cities in ten days. Is that what I heard? Yeah. Yeah, and that's the most popular. So I'm curious, like when when people connect with you, like I mean, obviously the pyramids. Like, what are the most common things that people want to see? And then, well, let's start with that. The most common things. Oh, I know where this is going. Okay, check this out. The most common things are obviously the pyramids and the Sphinx. That's just one location. And then you want to see the museums. And if they have read a little bit more about Egypt, they want to go to the Karnak Temple and Valley of the Kings. Okay. All right, so we have those four locations. I'm guessing, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were going to go with what place like surprises them the most. Yep, that's okay. right. <laughs> and I would say two places are absolutely amazing. One place which is they always get surprised by is the Monastery of St. Paul. So there's a lot of Christian history in Egypt. And the first monastery in the world is actually, um, it's called the Monster of St. Paul. This is a three-hour drive away from Cairo. And mm-hmm. one of my really good friends, Father Ignatius, is just happy to welcome people even when the monastery is closed for visitors. So we get like a special tour. And he just explains it. And to put it in short, the monastery has been active since the year 300. And there are monks living in it. And it's just a really peaceful and beautiful place. The second place would be, and you've probably never heard about this, the Valley of the Whales. Three hours um, drive from Cairo also. There's a city called Fayum, which is like one of the oldest cities in the world. It has, in the desert, actual whale skeletons. Wow. In the desert. In the desert. It is mind-blowing to see. Are these part of the 10-day trip or are these add-ons? Yes, they're part of it. They're part of it. Wow. Okay. So are these kind of your favorite places to to take people to that they weren't expecting? Yep. And I think that each year I'll probably find more and more places to go to. Um, it takes a while, you know, doing just research and development because I have to travel the entire country. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, usually I go to a place and I try to make, I just, I don't want to call them business associates or something. It's just mm-hmm. friends. I have a good friend who has camels. I have another good friend who is Father Ignatius. Yeah. I'm just trying to collect the best set of friends that people can meet. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And when, so when people travel with you, is there a typical like group size? Yeah. I think like it'll be like couples, a lot of couples, some solo travelers, but I've had groups to up to like four people, maybe eight people as well, which is okay. absolutely no problem. We'll just rent a bigger car. Okay. Very cool. When we spoke the first time before we did this episode together, you kind of talked to me a little bit about how Egypt, uh, travel to Egypt recently has suffered a little bit yeah. and, and not because of conflict in the Middle East, but because of media coverage about conflict. Yes. And I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit. So we can just check out where I'm at right now. I'm actually in Sweden. Mm-hmm. And that's because I did go viral on TikTok with this one video and I had bookings for days. And then once the like a couple of weeks later, the conflict like erupted a little bit and the news started pushing it more and more. 
everybody canceled. So I just took off to, mm-hmm. I went back to Sweden for a couple of weeks just to get some things fixed. My laptop had to get repaired, stuff like that. But what happened essentially was that this conflict, and I, I don't like to talk politics, I'll just tell you the facts yes. that happened from my perspective. This conflict has been going on for more than 70 years. It goes up and down and up and down. And each time Egypt gets hit, you know, because people get scared of traveling. And what happened this time was that nothing really happened to Egypt. It's just that we're really close to Israel and Palestine. So people started assuming that there's a lot of bad things going on. But I I just, I didn't feel anything. (laughs) And also Cairo and Luxor, they're like a thousand miles away. They're so far away from the conflict area that you, you can't even feel it. It's very unfortunate, obviously, what's been going on. But as part of like, if is it safe to go to Egypt? I would say it's even safer. And that's a little bit weird to say, but when a conflict like this arises, people tend to get a little bit more careful when it comes to tourists. Mm-hmm. They don't haggle as much. Like kind of the, the police has everybody in check. Like, okay, these are our guests. You have to respect them because... We do have a bad history of people trying to scam or just getting a lot more money, you know. They're doing whatever they can, you know. But they've been a lot more, like, under control these, like, since the conflict started. But I think nowadays it's getting a little bit more chill. And I'll be back in a few weeks when everything when I'm done with everything here. And I should be, I have my entire February's booked. So that's good. <laughs> that's awesome. So you expressed some frustration about the media coverage. So, yeah, what happens with media is that it'll always blow everything out of proportion because that's how they make money. Um, mm. That's how I feel like um, the news, they always want to escalate it because that'll get you more clicks. It's just like we have in social media. It's clickbait and it's showing it more and more and more. And it's affecting a lot of other countries that are perfectly safe now sure is it that they're saying is correct yeah the conflict is really really bad however i feel like they they just want to show you a lot of bad news without really resolving anything and the way that i see life is like i'm just going to try and be positive and people are having troubles when they're when they travel to egypt and i'm just my mission is to make sure that it's safe it's fun and make sure that everybody that has a dream to go to egypt fulfills that that is within my control, and anything other than that, I'm not really into politics. It is very unfortunate, but I got my mission. I need to focus on it. I love your mission, and it's what's cool is like you know, I'm somebody that doesn't love conflict, right? Just period, yeah. right? I'm I'm somebody that I, what I love about travel is that when I find when I travel, like it just expands your awareness. It just opens it up, helps you understand other people, other cultures, other places. And it just makes you a more open person. And, you know, I mean, just like to me, awareness helps, re- helps dissolve conflict. It does. And so what's, what's cool is um, you've, you shared with me, you're born in Sweden, but you've spent a lot of your life in Egypt. And you've shared with me that um, you've come to develop a really deep understanding of two very different cultures. And I loved when you said that, because to me, that's like, you know, just being you're in this position to be able to help um, understand two sides and and help resolve some of that conflict, which I think is awesome. So I wonder if you could talk about that and, and your experience in two different cultures and that bringing together. 
So um, I'll teach you something that we learned in, uh, back in college when I studied business administration and was business culture. And we have this circle. Let's do, I got a ball here because <laughs> it's Christmas. So this circle had a lot of different like lines all around it with each country. And the closer two lines were, the closer the countries. Like you'd have probably like Sweden and maybe um, let's say Germany really close to each other. But then I saw that Sweden was here. And 180 degrees here was Egypt. Mm. That was an eye opener for me that I didn't believe that my two cultures, so I'm born in Sweden, my parents are Egyptian. Yeah. I didn't know that they were complete 100% opposites, which a lot of people struggle, you know, having these two identities. But once you embrace that I'm both Swedish and I'm Egyptian, it opens up a huge world of possibilities. For instance, when you go to Egypt and you get like, um, a tour guide that has lived his entire life in Egypt and just knows everything from the Egyptian perspective, there's a lot of issues that they just won't be able to understand that comes from your side. For instance, it could be a hygiene issue, you know, it can be just the way uh, it can be time related, like if you're late or not, things like that, what people like, and also just expressing when you're talking to people, there's a way of emotionally understanding what's important to the person in front of me and i think that is definitely one of my strengths that as much as i'm swedish i'm also egyptian so we i got mi a middle ground between these two amazing cultures and that'll help a lot of people on the trips i love that so can you talk like like experientially or or practically what are some of those major differences that make them 180 degrees different in uh, at least in scandinavia there's a huge sense of like in the culture they're they are very honest in the way that they communicate with each other there's just a lot of honesty mm -hmm. and in uh, unfortunately the middle east they will like tell you things afterwards and i try to teach people in egypt this thing stop trying to get tips and gratuity i want you to give them your price let's say we'll do the, all of these services for like a hundred dollars and that's it don't come at the end of the trip and be like, yeah, but I want 150. No, if you want 150, you go from the get go, tell them I want 150. And most likely people will pay because they want to pay. You know, they, they want to give you, they want good service. So they are more than willing to pay. And that is a thing that a lot of people don't get in Arab culture. We always expect somebody to give you some tips at the end of the day. Americans, for instance, they will tip. They uh, and I love that; it's beautiful. <laughs> Other cultures, I've noticed, they don't tip, and that's okay, you know. So that's why that would be like the biggest cultural shock or like difference when it comes to payment. That just give it to them straightforward, and, yeah. and it'll be all good. It's so interesting. I mean, that really, I think, what I just heard you say is really just boils down to expectations. Yeah. And a way that different cultures like have kind of nurtured or developed differences in expectations. Yeah. And so, you know, when you go from Sweden to Egypt, expectations are different. Very and because different. of that, like there's the potential for conflict. Yeah. Oh, I've seen it happen. I've seen people get really mad at people because I told you one price and then you're asking for another Egyptians, we get it. We know that, okay, this is your price, but at the end of the day, I'm going to give you something out of my pocket. But that's, I'm just trying to teach people like how to approach tourism with a more easy and more like, like a flow. You yeah. Know?
how has that played out for you? Like just personally in your own life, like that ability to be able to see both perspectives and, you know, try to beat your, you're a bridge. Oh yeah, definitely. I see myself that way too. Um, well, it is, I've traveled quite a bit around the world. I backpacked a little bit and things like that. And being from two different, like completely opposing cultures has made me understand maybe if, if there's a culture that is closer to one of them, you know, I can easily communicate with people. And what I've learned is this communication is key. And this is my like solution to everything is that once people understand what communication means, it comes from the Latin word communa, meaning communion, you know, to have things in common. So I'm just trying to see what do we have in common between these two cultures or any other culture and just talk about that. We're going to talk about differences. Give you an example. The, my friend Father Ignatius at the monastery, some people were asking him, what is the difference between Catholic and Orthodox Christians? All right? And his answer was, we don't really like to talk about the differences. We talk more about what we have in common. And it just opens up so many more possibilities, you know. And me personally, I have been, like, I'm um, born Muslim, but I've been to churches and uh, during my trips. Some of them are just absolutely amazing. They talk the same way that Muslims do. They believe in the same things, the same values, even the same, you know, like the same God. They will say the same words. So I just realized that we're all just, we're all the same. I went, to, and this is what's profound, I went to the first, uh, like, synagogue that I've ever been to a couple of months ago. They just renovated it. And I saw what we would have, like, Islamic um, symbols mm -hmm. that were inside of the synagogue. So now I'm thinking, hey, we're not so different. <laughs> we're literally just, we speak different languages, sure. But that's it. So I try to look at, like, what we have in common. I, I love your attitude so much. It's, it's really refreshing. How do you do conflict? I, I don't like conflict at all. I think we have that in common. But... <laughs> <laughs> I just, if I try to get down to the facts, what happened, what is going on? Like, how do we resolve this? What do we have that we can talk about? I grew up in a little town in Sweden with, I wouldn't call it, okay, they were technically could be considered as racist, you know, like farmers, rednecks, whatever. However, I realized that they like the same music as I do. Talk about that. They maybe like vintage cars. I was a little bit into that. Let's talk about that. And suddenly race disappeared hmm. and just that helped me through conflict with that situation and it helped me it still helps me all the way today i try to figure out what these two people what's going on here here's the best thing always smile when you got yeah. that no smile it just a police comes over and he's really angry you know just smile i'm sorry <laughs> officer and then he goes like you know what okay fine just I smiling it. is contagious. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. Man, it's such a good reminder that just the word, like the root of the words, as you just said, communication and common. Like yeah. communication is about finding what we have in common. It's that's it's brilliant. Smile, communicate by finding commonalities. I mean exactly. it's brilliant. Do you have some fun stories about travel experiences that you've had with people that you want to share? I too quite a few everything from like i've had parents with their kids burping and farting inside of pyramids oh, <laughs> and they're like so embarrassed but nobody really cares you know because it's just kids <laughs> i've 
recently my last trip was with this old man and his daughter. He was a um, 78 year old carpenter from Idaho. Okay. And he had never been on a trip before in his life. It was his first vacation and he had some dementia as well. And I'll tell you this, he was the happiest guy I've met in my life. He was just so open and he would also say things like, well, he doesn't understand what they're saying in the music, but that doesn't stop him from appreciating it and really liking it and just being so open to new experience at that age, 78. That's a lot. It was just amazing. That's great. I love that story. Um, so it, what's so fun about what you do, like on this podcast, we like to talk to people about their adventures and their experiences. And, you know, when we go on an adventure, we are the hero, right? And we've talked about Joseph Campbell. You and I actually spoke about this and his hero's journey. And, you know, when the hero goes on an adventure, when they finally cross the threshold and they actually say yes, and they go experience this thing, oftentimes a guide shows up to help. Almost always yeah. a supernatural guide shows up to help. And when people travel to Egypt, you show up as their guide. That's so cool. And I want to talk to you about what that's like for you to be the guide. So when you're saying this, I, I can't help but relate to my own hero's journey, if you may. And before I started How to Egypt, it came from a spot where I personally was dealing with some issues with the job that I had in that company. And it was just going to work every day. I would hear these voices in my head, like, what are you doing? This is wrong. You're not, you're like worthless. And I got this thing where like once you fully immerse yourself in a different world, it just turns quiet and you're peaceful. So I've had these people come to the my trips and I feel like some of them are stressed. They're going through them some things, whatever it may be. I want to make sure that they are fully immersed in this world, that they completely forget wherever they came from. So mm. when they come back, they're just reborn again. And I'll give you one story that was really, this was a little bit hard. What happened Three days, I was with a uh, little German family. On the second day, the guy got fired. He got an email telling him that he got fired. Wow. So, and it was like, I didn't know how to handle that. Like, because I'm obviously, I'm taking money from, from them to give them services. I'm like, what should I do now to make sure that, you know, we can move on and be happy? So I just continued my trip and I was a little bit more, you know, mindful about the situation, but I wanted to go extra hard. Like, let's go to all of these pyramids. Let's go inside here and here and check this out. And at one point, this father, though, um, he, um, he had a moment with his daughter. He was holding his little nine-year-old daughter, looking at the Ben Pyramid and was sunset. And he started crying. And I'm asking him, hey, man, it's okay. He was like, no, it's just, it's just so much beauty in the world. You know, whatever, that job, I'll get another one. And he felt so hopeful because he's been introduced to a a whole different world with possibilities and new people and ways to see things. And that really, really touched me, honestly. Yeah, that's amazing. And you get to be there. You it's, get to be yeah, there to guide him through that. It's beautiful. Yeah. I imagine that you have experienced the transformation that happens to people when they go on a hero's journey. Like what, what, what does that transformation look like for some of your guests, like at the end of a trip? Like, what do you get to witness? I get to witness that. And this comes out weird, but they look younger, you know, they look <laughs> more refreshed. Um, they look more in love with life. It seems like they've just, because Egypt is different. It is 
chaotic and it's messy and there's people everywhere and people shouting and yelling. So they forget about their jobs. And when they come back and like relax, they're like, wow, you know, they're more appreciative of their own day to day, you know, just the normal life. And so how does that experience of being the guide, how has that changed you as a person? It makes me more happy, you know, in life. I'm just happy to be able to give that experience to people and just, it fulfills me. It gives me, you know, fulfillment in life and that I want to do better and help even more and more and more people. Cause I've had people tell me like, I, my friends tell me that you need to go to Egypt. You need to have a guide, but I wouldn't recommend mine. So that means a lot for me, especially when it comes to solo female travelers. Unfortunately, there will be, you know, there has been cases of like harassment and things like that. And that is something that I'm absolutely 100% against. Once I can have like, uh, you know, girls specifically on the trips and they feel like, oh, we were just with a good friend. It was just respectful and fun and we felt safe at all times. That means the world to me. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So for people listening that are intrigued about the idea of traveling to Egypt and seeing some of these places that you've just described, like what's the best way for somebody to get started? You can go to how to egypt.com or on Instagram and TikTok and just mail me. It's uh, howtoegypt at gmail.com. It's easy to find, but a follow will help a long way. Awesome. I love this so much. Okay. So here's the thing, like what you're doing for people, taking people on tours of Egypt as a travel buddy, mm -hmm. you've had some great stories. There's going to be more great stories to come. And I'm sure that at some point Hollywood's going to find out about you, Adam, and they're going to want to make a movie about your life. And when they do, I want to know who's going to be the Hollywood actor that's going to play you in this movie. Well, with this mustache, I think the guy who played Pablo Escobar in Narcos he would look oh, like me. Nice. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. And what's your movie going to be called? The Egyptian Viking or something. The e Oh, I like that. That's fitting. The yeah. Egyptian Viking. So well, who is the actor? We don't I, well, I'll look that up. Who the actor is that plays? I should know. Wagner Mora. Wagner Mora. Yeah, or just Pedro Pascal. <gasps> Pedro Pascal. Oh, it's Pedro Pascal. <laughs> no, it's, it's not, but he could be me. Yeah, he's got he's got this he's got the smile. That's the most important thing. You gotta have the smile. Oh man, I like this. He just needs to uh, gain a few pounds. I love this. The Egyptian Viking. We're going yeah. with that. The Egyptian Viking starring Pedro Pascal. I love that. That's going to be an amazing movie. He's so good. Adam, thank you so much for spending some time here with me today. This has been so much fun. And for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope that Adam's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or you just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it. You'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Adam, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Scott.